In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us this evening. Tonight I have a special treat. I am going to be interviewing a colleague who has written a book that is absolutely the type of information that I want to read about relative to sex. It has, it's got a great attitude, it's founded in science, and it presents things in a way from science that are still really easy for people to understand and, you know, take and go, oh, this applies to me. So... Without further ado, I would like to introduce Brian Alexander. He is the author of a newly released book. And Brian, are you on with me now? I am on with you now. Fabulous. Now, when was the release date of The Chemistry Between Us, Love, Sex, and the Science of Attraction? Well, that was September 13th, so it was just last Thursday. It's brand new. Brand new. Now, my first question for you is, how did you and your co-author, Larry Young, how did you decide to put this book together? What was the genesis? Well, it's a fascinating story. Larry wrote uh, an essay for the journal Nature, a very prestigious science journal. Um, They asked him to speculate on the possibility of such a thing as a love vaccine, a vaccine against love. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, here's the five question. Who would use it? (laughs) Well, if, 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 look, if, if, if love has just gone bad and you're heartbroken, wouldn't you like to not feel in love with a person anymore? Oh, okay, so a love blocker. <laughs> yeah, a love blocker, a vaccine against love. So, so, uh, so Larry wrote an essay, and I wrote about it for NBC. I write for NBC News. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Larry really liked the article that I did, so he called me up and he said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, well, let's talk. And so we we talked about it for a period of months, about exactly the way the book should look. Mm -hmm. We decided to go ahead, and the result is in your hands. I, you know, and I love your your press release stuff, but what I really, you know, I I started reading, and I went, and I literally, for anyone, this book is fun. It's hardcover. It's got these two little, you know, um, beakers at the front that are leaning into one another. But on page two, you start with some of the stuff that people really want to have the answers to. 
You know, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, this, you know, I used to write a column um, for NBC um, mm-hmm. uh, about sexuality and relationships, and a lot of these were the sorts of questions I was getting. And here I had uh, one of the world's most renowned social neuroscientists basically giving me the answers that I wish I had all that time. <laughs> and, you know, and here's the thing. Please explain to the listeners who your co-author is. Uh, Larry Young is most well-known as a guy who studies voles, and <laughs> voles are little little furry rodents. They're incredibly cute, actually. I wanted to, I wanted to adopt some. And they come in a variety of, of species, mm-hmm. and, but they look almost identical. The first time I went into Larry's laboratory, he showed me voles, and I thought they were all the same, but in fact they're not. One group of voles, the meadow voles, are what they call promiscuous. Mm-hmm. They, they mate, they have sex, and then they go off their separate ways and they find other partners to have sex with. However, the prairie voles are monogamous. So right. these two animals that look just about identical and they act just about identical have very different social systems. And Larry was, the, was one of the people who figured out why that happens, how that's even possible. Okay. Now, he has... Oh, here's a question I've often wanted to ask. Now, I have the hard sciences background, but I've never asked somebody else this question. Why are we using animal studies, and how relatable are they really to we human beings? Two very good questions. We're using animals, um, to be blunt, because you... Can't cut the head. You can't cut the heads off people. This is true. <laughs> so, this is true. And, it doesn't go over well. <laughs> and you can't, uh, you know, you can't do things to people that you can do to animals. So, for example, you can inject neurochemicals into an animal's brain and see how it changes behavior. Or as we, you know, we talk about some old science in the book back from the 50s and so right. on. You know, they could um, put little miniature electrodes in an animal's brain and see what happened, see what areas of the brain were controlling what kind of behavior. Well, you know, generally people object to having that sort of thing done to them. But, you know, so I that's mean, why... there are some unethicals who did, but we're, we don't, <laughs> that's we're not right. going there. That's right. There are. In fact, we write about one in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does it apply to people? Yes, it does. And here's, here's why. You know, there's the argument that is often used that, well, you know, voles or monkeys or dogs or whatever aren't people. And, of course, that's true. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the mechanisms that we're writing about in the book, they are very highly evolutionarily conserved. In other words, a lot of the same neurochemicals, the same circuitry, is at work in a mouse or a vole or a person. Mm-hmm. And I loved reading the thing about the jealous female rats. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can explain, if, you know, this is a study where they were using the scent, right? Yeah. They had, they had scent, and there was a male rat with a female rat, and they were seeing whether or not this would, main, would, would establish a state of, you know, sort of monogamous behavior if there had been the repeated sort of bonding intercourse between the two of them. And then they brought in the other female, and the female who was like the girlfriend got jealous and became oh, yeah. aggressive towards the, you know, the other female who was brought in. Right, and I, I like the quote from the scientist who uh, did this work. His name is Jim Faust, and uh, you know he said that uh, the original sort of girlfriend uh, rodent was saying to herself, 
if I'm wearing my sexy perfume, he damn well better do me and only me. Exactly. I just thought that was like, oh, my God, we see those at clubs all the time, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Now, did you, um, and I don't, because I didn't read every single word in the book, did you look at any studies that used pheromones in perfume with humans? We, there are famous studies that uh, are pretty well known uh, regarding T-shirts. We didn't mention specifically the T-shirt study. And for your listeners who may not be familiar, uh, essentially um, a, a man or a woman wears a T-shirt for a number of days. Uh, mm-hmm. And then people are the opposite sex gender is asked to sniff the T-shirts and say if any one of the T-shirts, if they prefer the aroma of any one of the T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very famous sort of um, marker for a preference for a particular kind of pheromone. Now, we do mention uh, or make reference to um, pheromones regarding um, transgender and homosexual and lesbian people mm-hmm. um, and their brain activation. So um, I'll just sort of briefly summarize it. Essentially, they put... Um, uh, transgendered people, gay people, into fMRI machines to see where their brains were lighting up with activity in response to pheromones. And, you know, when most uh, heterosexual men go into an fMRI machine and they, they sort of sniff a female pheromone, specific parts of their brain light up with activity. Mm-hmm. When gay men went into the fMRI, and they sniffed female pheromones. It did not show that pattern. It did show the pattern for other male pheromones. The point being that um, this sort of stuff lives in your brain, and we are literally born the way that we are. So Lady Gaga is mostly correct. You're born that way. (laughs) Now, there's also, as you and I know, the John Money um, issue with the... Brian Brenda. <clears throat> right. And that was, and please explain to people about that. Again, that goes back to, it is, it is in your brain. Right. There was a, a popular train of thought that was popularized and expounded upon by a, a very famous guy by the name of John Money. Um, John Money did a lot of good things with sex research, but he made a tragic error. He believed that we were essentially born as blank slates that you could be born a male with male chromosomes and uh, male equipment, but that given the right social environment and hormones, you would essentially become a woman. Um, and so he carried this through. He, he, kept, um, he kept advocating this point, but he always lacked the perfect experiment. And the perfect experiment would involve twins of the same gender, identical twins, um, and you would change one and not change the other. But, of course, you couldn't actually do that in real life because that's highly, highly unethical. Well, right. as, it, as it happened, um, a pair of twins, boys, were born in Canada, mm-hmm. and there was a tragic uh, medical accident uh, on one of the boys, uh, Brian, and his penis was severely damaged. So his parents went to John Money and said, what do we do? And he said, look, remove his penis and testicles. We will, plastic surgeons will create sort of a simulacrum of a vagina, and we will supplement him with estrogens throughout his life and constantly reinforce everything in his environment that he is a girl. You know, give him dolls, 
dressed him in dresses, and he, in fact, will become a she. Right. Um, m- money, um, money presented this research several times, and it was considered a huge success and proved the point. And um, second-wave feminists really embraced this idea because it seemed to them to prove that you know, men and women were just alike as far as your brains were concerned. Right, in fact, exactly. Now. Yeah, and in fact, Brian never, Brian was later called Brenda. Right. Um, Brian slash Brenda never did adopt a female identity. Not, he always not at thought, all. Right, he always thought he, he was but, a now, boy. Now, and we are, going, we are going to have to wait on Brian and Brenda. We're coming up to our first break. Please stay with us. My guest is Brian Alexander, and we're talking about your brain gets set from the beginning, and we're going to come back with one of the most interesting studies that blew the lid off of that. Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Are you powerless to stop making choices that hinder your happiness, your peace of mind, your sense of fulfillment, or success? Have your choices resulted in broken relationships, job losses, and financial chaos? Then be here for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your hosts, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Strategies for Healing coaches and empowers and seeks to help people discover their goals and reach those goals quickly. Provide structure, tools, and perspective to help clients accomplish more in their lives. To encourage clients to think bigger and realize their full potential. Strategies for Healing endeavors to see each individual come to a place of purposeful living apart from addictions. Check out the website, strategiesforhealing.com. Then join us for Strategies for Healing from Addictions with your hosts, Gary and Sharon Worrell. Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. 
Tonight, my guest is Brian Alexander. He is the author of The Chemistry Between Us, Love, Sex, and the Science of Attraction. It, it was just released last week. And just before the break, we were talking about a study, um, not a study, really, but a case that tried to show that you could adjust what your brain is like relative to your sexuality and your sexual identification just by how you are socialized. And, Brian, you were starting with the, the discussion of the, it's the Brian-Brenda case with the identical twins. Right, and, and he, ne- he, he never accepted uh, that he was a girl. And, in, you know, the bottom line is that uh, it really met with tragic consequences. He eventually tried to undergo a reverse sex change, essentially, um, and finally he just could never really adapt, and he finally committed suicide, sadly. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was something that for many people, they had sort of listened to that. And you write in the book that there are still some universities that still follow the attitude of that, you know, the, the behavioral component can switch what's happening in the brain. Yes, there are. Larry and I uh, recently had a, a um, essay on Huffington Post mm-hmm. arguing that society does not make gender. And if you look at the comments, you can actually see some of this sort of uh, dialogue playing out. There are people who really strongly believe um, that society does, in fact, impose our gender behavior. Society often tries to do that, um, but your, your, your sexuality lives in your brain. Um, yeah, and now, and as we were on the break, um, we were talking about the fact that this was the, the ideal study because identical twins were involved. And myself being an identical twin, it makes me, as I was telling you, it makes me completely wingy how many things they always want to, you know, let's study twins. But then you also have the component in your book here talking about the UK twin study on infidelity. Yes, uh, there's, it's a very large study. There's a large database uh, of twins, and mm-hmm. they studied women pairs, twin pairs, and they found that there's actually a pretty strong genetic component toward infidelity. In other words, um, if one twin was going to be cheating, another twin might be cheating. Uh, so it wasn't, and it was not above, it was above chance. In other words, if you had just done this randomly, you wouldn't get this kind of a result. So it was really a strong link between genes and behavior, and in this case, infidelity. Now, I want to be cautious. We don't argue that your genes literally make you do it. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can bias your brain um, in one direction or another direction. They, they don't sort of order you around. We're not, we're not puppets. Right. Well, you know, and I, my twin sister and I have had this discussion on how easy it is to fool around if you want to, particularly when you're traveling. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's like, hello, the opportunity is there. And then, it's, you know, they talk about the U.K., some of the women who had violated their own moral compasses. Right. I mean, it, it, we are, uh, the point of that uh, discussion in the book is we have a lot of penalties to pay for things like infidelity. And in the Middle Ages, you could literally be killed. Uh, in some countries today, you could be killed for committing adultery. And yet, despite that very powerful disincentive, mm-hmm. lots, of people, lots of people do it. Uh, there's, there's no question. I mean, we know things in the Middle East. There are people in certain... We know that, given the field that you and I both write in, that they that the power of the drive to fall in love 
is so huge and the power to, to seek out who you want to be with. Now, let me ask you these questions that you started off on page two. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, how is it possible for someone to fall in love with the wrong person? Uh, okay. Well, it's a very interesting and very controversial idea, uh, but we strongly come out in favor of it. And that is that the behavior of women changes at around the time of ovulation. And we have what I think is a charming little explanation of a real study with human beings uh, where they, they take um, college co-eds, females. This is and the, the they're, young woman they're, listening to the twins. That's right. <laughs> this is, this is, these aren't twins, though. You're right. Um, and they, they sort of have a way of seeing how they interact with men um, when they are not ovulating, weeks before they are ovulating. And then they, then they bring them back in again, and they have them interact with what they think are different men but are actually twin, twins of the first guy. So in other words, they're identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that they begin flirting. And they begin flirting specifically with the group of guys that the researchers called the CADs. Right. These are sort of uh, jerky braggarts, you know, guys who brag about skiing and they're going to sweep you off your feet. They're really sort of blowhards. And yet these are the guys where, at ovulation, the women start flirting with them. They never would have done that with, unless they were ovulating. That's the power of hormones in our brains. Oh, well, you know, when I... Um, Luann Brezendine, when she did her book on the female brain and the male brain, and how the hormonal fluctuations so impact what happens in behavior, it's like off the charts. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and the, you know, one of my favorites, of course, a lot of people know about this study. Uh, we talk about it in the book. It's the famous stripper study. So not only does ovulation affect female behavior, but men can sense it. In other words, we believe that women go into heat and men sense that they're in heat. And it turns out that strippers, when they're ovulating, make over 30% more in tips from men. And neither the man nor the woman can say, oh, I'm ovulating now. They're totally unconscious of the effect. But the measurement of using money makes it indelible. They're actually behaving differently because of ovulation. Well, you know, when, and I try to say this to you, I say, look, it's not politically correct for me to say certain things, but we are, we're mammals, you know, let's be honest. We're in the category called mammals, and we are structured and we have a lot of stuff inside of us. We think we're so damn smart. But we have a lot of stuff inside of us that from an anthropological standpoint is still absolutely, it's brain hardwired to be there, on whether it's the response or, so it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, that that, you know, that the 35% increase. And if we think of, you know, this, young woman. I'm just wondering, what, how did they find out she was ovulating? Did they ask her when she was having her period? Yeah, yeah they did. They tracked them for over a period of months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's funny you bring that up because in uh, to just today, a review of the book came out in a magazine called New Scientist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the author, the author says, they're not overly concerned with political correctness. And, uh, and, and we are, we are not overly concerned. I mean, the science is what the science is. Mm-hmm. 
No, hey, I mean, I say to women, listen, even though you make your own money, even though you are able to take care of yourself, you likely still want to have a man who makes money and likely makes more than you. It's something that we, I mean, that was the selection process for choosing partners. Absolutely. I mean, we, we look, we evolved, uh, and we evolved through a lot of history. And mm-hmm. one of the things you were concerned about is, who's going to make my babies the best babies and who's going to provide for my babies? And that, that meant resources. Right. Now, here's another question that you have in this section that I love. <laughs> How do people come to have a type? Aha. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has, this has a lot to do with uh, brain reward. We have uh, a whole chapter about reward. We, essentially what the book does is it takes readers step-by-step step from the formation of our sexual brains all the way through you know, late in a relationship. What mm-hmm. happens to create the sensation of love or the emotion of love? Mm-hmm. So you get a reward. Let's, let's put it in the... In the um, um, words of, of drug addiction. And in fact, we say outright that mm-hmm. love is, in fact, an addiction, just like a drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So when, when you have a, a drug addict and he sees, you know, his, his crack pipe, for example, he mm-hmm. begins to crave. He wants, he wants that sensation, that brain reward from the crack pipe. If you have had some of your earliest sexual experiences with, <laughs> a, with a girl who wears glasses, right? Mm -hmm. There's a good chance that for a good part of the rest of your life, you're going to always have a thing for girls who wear glasses. And, you know, you know, and you talked about the different cars too, like the, you know, the 82, whatever. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, I know I have a friend who has a thing for cheap motels, um, because, you know, when they first started to, you know, have sex and they were uh, able to rent a motel room, they couldn't afford anything, so they had sex in cheap motel rooms. So they, had, they still get a charge out of cheap motels. <laughs> no, that one. Now, when we look at, so is it the brain reward that has been set up that then creates our type? You associate, when you get the reward, you begin to associate the surroundings, whatever is there, whether it's a person's body type, even a personality, even a kind of a room or the music that was playing, and you get this reinforced. It doesn't happen just one time, but if you get this reinforced Mm -hmm. um, a few times, you begin to associate this environment, this person, with the reward, the, the, the wonderful sensations you're getting in the brain, and you can create a type. You know, I've, I like, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, a man has to be, you know, have muscular arms, or I like tall men, or I like short men, or whatever. It's, it's likely due because you have had early sexual experiences, often self-stimulation to pictures or whatever, and you've, you've created this. I mean, there's a reason why the Playboy Playmate type has become a type. It's because a lot of little boys grow up looking at it. Hey, you know, if we look at that, and we have one minute until 30 seconds until our next break, uh, my guest is Brian Alexander, the author of the brand newly released book, Chemistry Between Us, and he has a website, chemistrybetweenus.com, and we're talking about creating your type. And we'll continue with that when we come back because, you know, if we look at it now, people who are online dating, any type of dating, we now have the body has to look like what they are seeing in the images. So from the manscaping and from the waxing and everything, it comes straight out of what we have downloaded. 
Right. We're, we're about as good as a computer. <laughs> Please stay with us. We will be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. What time is it? It's MILF and Cookies time. Join the rowdy and fun world of Shannon and Amy, two moms I'd like to Facebook, and catch a glimpse of these two best friends as they enjoy their MILF status and devise ways to keep it. They, along with their special guests, will happily reveal their best-kept secrets on how to feel beautiful from the inside out. Some of the fun segments include Happy Hour with Skinny Girl Margaritas, Confessions of a Bad Eater, Making Your Own Money is So Hot, for keeping your milk status. And don't forget the cookies. We're still moms after all. And best friends are like a good brawl. They never leave you hanging. Shannon represents the ladies in their 40s and is also a woman who came into her cool status late in life after a good long run with a glee club. Amy, on the other hand, is walking the 30 set and as a high school cheerleader has pretty much been cool her whole life. Look up with host Shannon and Amy every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. Central for Filth and Cookies here on the Rockstar Radio Network. The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone, and please go and check out thechemistrybetweenus.com. That is my guest, Brian Alexander's website. And just before the break, we were talking about how programmable we are relative to our sexual preferences and proclivities. Now, Brian, when you say the reward pattern is reinforced for, let's say, a man or a woman, they see a particular thing that downloads... I mean, whether we call it, you know, the you know, nerve pathway gets downloaded. Is this about the falling in love or the sexual experience and pleasure? Is it? Well, it's, it's really both. I mean, this facilitates, lust facilitates the growth of love. In other words, you don't typically fall, literally fall in love at first sight, and you don't typically even fall in love after, you know, you've had sex with somebody necessarily. You might. Um, but the, this idea of brain reward makes us want to be around that person mm-hmm. more and more often, and that sets up a whole 
you know, subsequent series of events that we cover in subsequent chapters in the book. Um, but this sort of this lust, this craving for reward, um, is really the beginning of a pathway that um, leads to these other events that occur down the road that leads to long-lasting love. Now, I also love the fact that you've got, okay, I'm going to see if I can get one more of these little questions out of here. <laughs> the Okay, you make the statement that a woman um, going on a date with a man or is similar to this is going to be like my baby. Uh, right, right. Yeah, it's not a date. When, when a okay, woman... what's the difference, the brain chemistry between a woman with a new baby and one with a new boyfriend? Right. Uh, okay. When a woman, we argue uh, powerfully, and this is really one of Larry's, um, Larry's strong hypotheses, and that is that the brain circuitry involved when a woman falls in love with a man is the same as when she has and falls in love with her baby. In other words, we, uh, when a woman has a baby, if you think about it, a whole strange human being pops out. Now, why does a woman immediately begin to cuddle and care for and, and love this perfect stranger, right? Well, there have been mm-hmm. a series of chemical events that we talk about in the book that right. leads her to do that. The same exact thing happens with human females, and we argue that that's one of the reasons why men have large penises, and men, in fact, will be happy to know, um, among, among all primates, we have the largest penises relative to our body size. And right. one of the reasons, That's true. and, and it's, it's, we are essentially over-designed just for the sake of having a baby, so it's got to have some other purpose. And Larry believes that that purpose is to stimulate the cervix of a woman, which facilitates the release of oxytocin in her brain mm-hmm. and sets this cascade of events that associates that man just like she associates the baby. So the man, as far as her brain is concerned, her man is her baby. She wants to be around that man. She wants to nurture that man, care for that man. Um, So that's a little controversial idea. But when you put a woman in an fMRI machine and you look at her brain, and you look at her brain looking at her baby, and you look at her brain looking at her lover or husband, it looks exactly the same. Now, which people are going to be happy to hear that one. You, get, you, you know, bond with one, bond with the other. Right. Now, the other thing that you speak about is the difference between the bonding that occurs from cesarean delivery versus vaginal delivery. Yes, and, and this is, now this is in somewhat in the realm of speculation, but there are uh, a number of people who are becoming concerned because, uh, somewhere around a third right. of all births in this country are now by cesarean section. And there have been some studies that show that women who have given birth by cesarean have a somewhat reduced, let's say, bonding reaction to their babies and their children. Um, and we discuss that in some length um, in the book, um, a, few, a few paragraphs. Mm-hmm. The idea being that um, I, we go into the book about our culture and our society and what some of this stuff that you've read about, why it really matters, not just for people falling in love, but our whole society. And I think we are at some risk um, in our culture of over-digitizing everything, of doing everything by remote, not having enough eye gaze and touching and, and just associating with other people. Um, and we are bypassing this neural circuitry that is meant not only to bond one person with another, but also to build community. Right. Well, here's what 
you have the, you know, you write about the woman who, with Wicked Pictures, is talking about which is a company that produces couples adult material, saying that one of the most important things is to maintain and have the couples maintaining eye contact. Right. It's one of the most important things for her films, but it's also one of the most difficult things to get her performers to do. Now, that sounds bizarre, doesn't it? I mean, here are people who are literally having sex in front of a whole crew of people, uh, and that's going to be displayed for consumers, and yet it's very difficult for them to gaze directly into each other's eyes. Why, Why is that? I mean, to me, that is a powerful statement about the importance of of eye contact and really what is a true intimacy between people. Well, and then it goes on to talk about the importance of being able to have sex face-to-face. Yes, we are among the only animals uh, that have sex face-to-face. And part of the reason is when you look into another's eyes um, and you're having sex, you are building an association between that particular person and that particular person's face with the feelings of sensation and joy and pleasure and so on that you're getting. Mm -hmm. And that helps really build a bond. Right. Well, you know, when we talk about people with that eye contact, we now literally have, uh, you know, a whole society that is spending its time separated by machinery and equipment. And literally now, I mean, I'm sure you've read this as well, this the generation coming forward who are graduating and, you know, high school, going off to college, whatever, a lot of them aren't getting their licenses. Right. And they're not buying cars. They don't need to go anywhere. Right. (laughs) They don't have to go anywhere to be with people they want to be with. Yeah. Uh, You know, and I I think about things like clerks in a grocery store. I mean, now we have self-serviles in in grocery store, and you slide your card through a machine, and you bag your own groceries. You know, I guess I'm aging myself, but it, it used to be that if you went to the same grocery store, you developed a kind of a relationship with the people that worked there. They got to know you. You got to know them. I mean, that's that's bonding. And you you create a history, which is also part of what some of this, you know, that we're talking about here. When you talk about there's the beginning of let's give people some really uplifting stuff here. What? Tell me. Were there any examples of stuff that were fascinating for you that when you first started working with Larry, you went, you're really, you're kidding? I, w- I, I have said this before, and I, I, I was utterly blown away. I went to, Larry is a professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at, the, at Emory University in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I went to visit him, and he showed me a little presentation, and my jaw just hit my chest. Um, there were so many things that, that kind of blew me away about how it is that we, in a sense, we have a lesser degree of control than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Nature is incredibly powerful, and nature has designed our brains to bond with people. I mean, that's, I think that is the most uplifting thing in the book. Um, we're supposed to be bonding. Now, parts of the book are dark. I mean, they, they truly are. Love truly is an addiction. Um, you know, sexual passion leaves long-term relationships. I know you know that better than, than most people. Um, and you can, you can work hard at, mm-hmm. at uh, trying to rebuild that, but 
uh, in the end, uh, it's still, it, you know, that initial thing is never going to be recaptured. So that's sort of some bad news. The good news, though, is that nature wants us to be together, not just together as a romantic couple, but together in whole communities. That's why human beings have been so successful on, on this planet, in my opinion, and I think that's something worth treasuring and worth protecting at all costs. No, no question. And my, my concern for what's coming forward, in large part for many people, are the impact of medications which are having people not fall in love. Right. And there is, you know, it's interesting, Larry's, um, the main focus of Larry's research is really autism. Uh, autism is a social deficit uh, condition. You, mm-hmm. you can't bond with other people. Um, and if we can figure out all the nuances of bonding, this is something that might be addressable by drugs. By the same token, there could be such a thing in the future as love drugs, not only a love vaccine that would block love, but, that, but drugs that could promote love. Now, there's, you know, that's a double-edged sword. There's going to be evil associated with that, but also possibly good things associated with that. I think we're entering a wonderful and, and also at the same time scary uh, new age of, of social interaction, and a lot of it's going to have to do with the neuroscience that's in the chemistry between us. Well, I know you, Chapter 9, you talk about rewriting the story of love. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, what can, you know, are there options? <laughs> is there a food for someone who is heartbroken that will make them feel better? Uh, a food? Well, actually, somebody told me the best thing. He said we were talking about voles, and we have a little, a fun little thing about heartbroken voles. These are essentially males that get divorced from their mates, and they mope around like they just don't care about living or dying. And this guy, this very famous scientist, said the best thing for that vole to do is go find another mate to be the Newt Gingrich of voles. <laughs> and, and so the best cure for a heartbreak is another love. Go out and find somebody. You know, be social with somebody else and you know, have sex with somebody else. Fall in love with somebody else and you'll cure your, your love sickness. And or find something that you love to be doing which will then take your mind to a state of love if you can't find that person. We are coming up to our final break. My guest this evening is author Brian Alexander, the author of the newly released book, The Chemistry Between Us, Love, Sex, and the Science of Attraction. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Chapter 9, Rewriting the Story of Love, and what people can do to help recreate it. Okay? We're going to give them a little recipe, Brian. Can we do that? Sure. Okay. (laughs) We're going to give them a recipe. We're going to give you some how-tos that are practical that you can take home right away. Please stay with us. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. 
If you've ever been confused about the facts surrounding non-surgical rejuvenation and cosmetic plastic surgery, we're pleased to introduce to the Rockstar Radio Network audience, Spirit Lift, Plastic Surgery for the Soul. Each Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, host Kim McKenna and plastic surgeon Dr. Sadi Irfani will help dispel the myths surrounding this exciting field and lift the veil of mystery on a very important topic. With advances in nutrition and self-care, many of us want to look as young and vibrant outside as we feel inside. Plus, listeners will be able to call in live and share their questions and get advice on the air. A show where you will learn how to look and feel your best and be your best. Join us to have your spirit lifted on Spirit Lift, plastic surgery for the soul. Each Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Rockstar Radio Network. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back. Brian Alexander and I are now going to discuss recipes for heartbreak and or how to bring things back. So, Brian, how much validity is there for the products that are marketed that say you will, you know, this will turn you into whatever with a couple of drops of these fluids and liquids? <laughs> uh, scientifically, there's basically zero validity to that. There is, there is, however, a placebo effect. I mean, making the effort to actually get the thing, whatever it is, no matter how bogus it might be scientifically, right. um, already predisposes you to feel a little sexier. So, so there's that. But I would save the money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know when we're... There's the, the, the problem, you're writing about this thing here, the one guy saying liquid trust, you know, isn't good for much besides giggles. Right. And, you know, you can get this and the labs say that 96% of women's choices of men, blah, blah, blah. But if there is something to pheromones, if there is something to um, a placebo effect, what might someone, okay, we have someone who wants to increase their appeal factor. Mm. Mm. To, and, and they're not in a relationship. Correct. Well, you know what? Let's say they're in a relationship and they want to bring it back. Right. 
is there brain chemistry that I can tell them about? I mean, I know different ideas of things to tell them. And right. it may be like, who is it who says, if you want to be, if you want to be enthusiastic, start, ask, start acting enthusiastic. Well, that's very good. I mean, and, and I know that, uh, I mean, a lot of the tips that you give people, a lot of the things that you say in your seminars, they do work. And, and here's the reason why, because it's a change from their behavior. So we get used to kinds of behavior. You get used to a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one of the ways to reawaken sort of passion and, and togetherness and bonding is to break the routine. As, as you know, I, I had a neuroscientist discuss with me, and we include this in the book, why is it that people have sex on vacation? Well, first off, they don't have they don't have all the other stuff they have to be doing, right? But uh, but also there is there's there's something called the sympathetic nervous system, and we discuss what that is in the book. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and when you are on vacation, especially if you're someplace that you're not used to, there's a little sort of low level, almost pleasant anxiety that goes along with that. Maybe a different language, a different location, different kinds of food. You're seeing different stuff. Um, and that activates your sympathetic nervous system. If people have ever gone bungee jumping, for example, you've had a massive activation of your sympathetic nervous system, and, and maybe you thought everything after that for the next day or so was hilarious, or you had a great appetite, or if you were with somebody, um, maybe you were having sex you know, three times the next day. A lot of that has to do with the sympathetic nervous system. So that's why, for example, people like spanking. Mm-hmm. So the kind of low-level pain with spanking can activate that system. Essentially, okay. anything that gives you a jolt yes. um, and breaks you out of your routine is good to do. Well, that's um, part of what Esther Perel writes about, mating, yeah. in ta- mating in captivity and maintaining something that creates a little risk factor. Because if you know everything's going to be exactly the same, there isn't that sort of like on edginess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we there's a there's a scientist who studies uh, marmosets, and he talks about how you know they mate monogamously, and they they form couples, and you boy girl marmosets get together, and they have lots and lots of sex, and within about, about uh, seventy or eighty days, they're having zero sex, and the reason mm-hmm. is because they're tired of it. They I mean marmosets basically do it one way, and after they've done it for a while, it's like okay, well we did it. <laughs> And now it's all over. So you've got to you've got to mix it up a little bit. I mean, that's old-fashioned advice, but it's really true. Um, I think another way to do it is to literally to be sexy. Um, you know, we I do this. I'm guilty of this myself. Um, you know, I I sort of I, sometimes I can't be bothered, or I just forget. Um, and I think it's, a, you know, this is why fashion works. This is why fashion houses make lots and lots of money. So um, when you, okay, you're, as a male, you're changing things up. How do you change it up? As, as a male, well, yeah. as, you know, I'm all about vacations and getting away. Okay. I mean, I think breaking your routine, whatever your routine is, is important to do. And it really can reignite things. Now, you know, realistically, you know, a long-term married couple, you're not going to be able to go on vacation every day. So what you have to do is, you know, break things up at home. Right. Um, and, and also I think it's important to tell people, and I used to stress this when I wrote my column, and that is at, at, on some level, don't worry about it. I mean, it, you know, you used to have sex, you know, five times a week when you were first together, and now you're down to once a week or once every two weeks. If you're happy, you don't have a problem. If it's not causing you stress, it's not a stressor. 
Right. Right. So there is, you know, there is something in our in our culture, especially over the last, say, 10, 15 years, that says, if you aren't constantly humping somebody, there's something wrong with you. It, thank you. It makes me crazy because then it makes people feel, the one question when I get asked, how often are you, what's the, what's the average number of times people are having sex? And I won't answer the question. And the reason I won't is because if I do give an answer, someone's going to get beaten up with it. Yeah, I mean, quit trying to match what you think everybody else is doing. Doing, <laughs> yeah, because chances are they're not. Yeah, they're, you know, you you probably get this question tons. I used to get it all the time. Is you know, am I normal? I mean, that was the number one thing. Am I normal? And and my answer was usually, I don't know. Are you normal for you? Precisely, <laughs> precisely. Now, let's go and answer. Another, so have we got, is there any food that you, science or brain studies show, that help you fall in love more? Uh, well, coffee can help a little bit because it's a stimulant. Um, okay. Uh, any sort of stimulant can help a little bit. Which is without um, alcohol. Uh, well, alcohol, no, not necessarily. I mean, in, in a way, in a way, alcohol is probably one of the key ways to fall in love. And that's because what it does is it, it can help disengage our prefrontal cortex. That's the reasoning part of our brain. Right. And basically it, it cripples it and it says, okay, I'm going to make you be quiet. And this other part of your brain, the deep brain, the reward systems and so on, I'm going to let them start to shout, and you're going to really hear a lot of them. And so you're going to overcome sort of maybe social shyness or, or inhibitions that you may have, the reasoning brain that's telling you to be cautious. You're going to be less cautious, and you might fall into bed with somebody. Now, that can be a bad thing, of course, depending on the circumstances, but... You know, I hate to say it, but alcohol can actually help. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it as a system depressant, as, as something that, as you say, takes the break off the prefrontal cortex. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the, the liquid courage out the door, away you go. Yeah, and, you know, it's also, there have been some fascinating studies, you know, uh, regarding beer goggles, and, uh, and, it's, and it's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, dialing, the, drunk dialing, the, ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I mean, these are some of the sort of like, you know, the most duh scientific uh, tests ever, but they showed um, pictures to people who had been drinking, right. and they found a lot more people attractive. Well, you know, don't, doesn't everyone say that all the ugly girls or ugly guys have left the bar by... Yeah, <laughs> closing time. <laughs> They've already, you know, it's kind of like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> at, at which point afterwards, no, I don't think so. So just a quick question. Yeah. You've done all of this, you know, research, you and Larry and, you know, the chemistry and all. What is your reaction to what's happening to women's brains as a result of Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> and, I'll tell, and I'll tell you, I have a real reason for asking that. <laughs> I, I, I'm tempted to say no comment, but I don't want to bail out on you like that. Um, I, I, you know, I have read parts of the book. I actually gave it to a friend because she had a birthday, and I was making a joke on the word gray. Um, but, but, and so I read parts of it. I, mm -hmm. I'm not totally impressed with the literary quality of the book. But you know what? It may be spreading around a lot of interesting ideas for people. 
Uh, and they may be willing to try some stuff they weren't trying before. Right. Well, here's what I, you know, in talking about the chemistry between us, the big thing that is shown in these books, in my mind, and I initially had the act- reaction, oh, I don't have to read this. I've written five books. Why do I have to read this? This is just nonsense. But you know what? And then I went, Lou, don't be an ass. And I have two things that I'm working on. So I read them, and really what the big thing that this runs through the whole theme of the book is the tremendous chemistry between these two people. Right. It's huge. And I think people crave that. People really crave a connection. They crave it, and they want to have someone that wants them for some unknown reason that they don't even know why that person wants them. Right, right. And, you know, for... You know, when I looked at this, I went, you know, I love that there are explanations for why and how we do some of the things that can't. Most people go, I don't know why I'm so attracted to that person. <laughs> yeah, you know, my the book I wrote previous to this was called America Unzipped, and it dealt mm-hmm. uh, with a variety of things. But one of the, we had, I had a chapter about about fetishes, and it was a long question I had about, you know, wh- why, you know, how does this actually happen, and so on, and that, that was one of those jaw-dropping moments for me, having sort of written about this sort of basic subject of, of love and relationships and bonding and sexuality and so on for a while, to hear what's really happening in your brain, I was, I was really gobsmacked by the whole thing. I'm, you know, I, I'm really boring at cocktail parties now because I, I bug people with this stuff all the time. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> you know what? Brian, we have only one minute left. I, I could just go on with you for like you know, a couple of hours about this stuff because it's like my favorite. My guest this evening is Brian Alexander. He, along with Larry Young, wrote The Chemistry Between Us. You can find that at thechemistrybetweenus.com. And anything else you need to let them know in 30 seconds, Brian? Uh, only that I think they'll gain a lot of insight, not only about their own lives, but the lives of other people and the lives of our communities and our culture. Um, we have a lot of science in the book, but it's really written for a lay audience. I think anybody can pick this up um, and get some valuable information out of it and also be entertained, I hope. There's no question about the entertaining. And by the way, the penis size thing is on page 149. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with me tonight, Brian. Thank you. You're welcome, Lou. Take care. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget.